Good morning, everyone. Morning, good to see you all here and those who are visiting as we look forward to the dedication of Lydia. It's a wonderful occasion and we're very excited. In fact, I didn't check whether all the appropriate people were here. Oh, brilliant, that's good. We can start. Well, we gather here together this morning as a church family and we're gathering to celebrate the birth of Lydia, which was a while ago now, but you know, um, we're gathering here to thank God for her. We're gathering here to make promises to support her and her family and also promises to God. And we're also here to offer our own lives to him. And often, you know, when we gather together on special occasions, we think, oh, well, God is here because it's a special occasion. And so he wants to be here. And sometimes when we gather on other occasions and there's few of us, we think, oh, it feels a bit like God might be somewhere else where there's another special occasion. But it's good to know that whenever we gather, two or three of us, that God is here. And it doesn't matter what the occasion is. And also how we're feeling. Some of us want to celebrate this morning. Some of us don't want to celebrate. But the Bible says this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart who do not put their trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, their saviour. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He's always here. He's always with us, no matter where we're at, how we're feeling or how many are gathered. So we're going to stand and worship God as we begin our time together. The Lord who made us and made the earth. Let's stand and worship him. The words will appear on the screen behind me. Well, as I've said a number of times, we gather, well, we gather together because we gather together anyway, but we're gathering especially um, to welcome and to celebrate the life of Lydia. We want to welcome the friends and family of Jessica, Dave, Naomi and Lydia. You're welcome here among us and enjoy yourselves with us, please do. When we dedicate children to God here at the Baptist Church, we do so to thank God for their lives, wonderful, precious human beings, and to acknowledge that they are a gift from him. They're not something that we have thought and created, but they're a gift from God, and they've come from him. And we gather to remember that like each one of us, they are dependent on him for every single breath that they take. We're showing here as we have this dedication service that Lydia is a named person before God in her own right. She's a small child, but she is a person in her own right. And we follow the example of Jesus, who himself was first of all presented in the temple as a young child, and then later, of course, took children in his arms and blessed them, even though the disciples were telling them to get away. We also, of course, pray for the desperately needed wisdom, strength and patience for Jessica and Dave as they bring up these wonderful children before God. It's not just them, you know, every parent, we all know that. No special case. Um, So I'd like to invite up to the front Jessica, Dave, who's also doing the sound. 
and their family and the godparents who are also coming to make promises. This is going to be very exciting because Lydia apparently doesn't like people at the moment too much. Although, smiling happily. Uh, yeah, Mummy's here. Oh, cake time, not yet. Not quite. Um, so we have the Stevenson family and we also have um, godparents here. Paul. Oh, sorry, dropping my bits and pieces. Annie and Paula. And Paul and Annie, are you godparents to Naomi? And Paula here will be godparent to Lydia. So it's very good that you can all be here. And it's exciting, though, as Lydia doesn't like people, I'm a little bit nervous, but we'll be all right. We'll be fine. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Okay, so you're here to make a few promises before each other and before God. And first of all, I'm going to speak to you, Dave. And Jessica. (laughs) David, Jessica, you've come to thank God for the gift of Lydia. You've come to dedicate yourselves as parents to care for her, to teach her and enable her to learn about Jesus, to encourage her to get to know God and one day to follow him. Jessica and Dave, do you thank God for the gift of your child? And do you accept the joys, the hard times and the responsibilities of parenthood? Yes. I always think it's a little bit late to ask that question. <laughs> no, but yes, wonderful. Will you make every effort to live in such a way that you will not become a hindrance, but will be a good example to your child? <laughs> Loving it. Do you promise to encourage your daughter to share in the life of the Christian community and to help her discover the good news of Jesus Christ? We will. Wonderful. And Naomi... Naomi, are you still here? You have a little question to answer. Will you promise to love and care for your sister? Wonderful. Brilliant. So you've given the name Lydia Ruth Stevenson to Lydia. Can you just say why you've picked that middle name? I know there's a reason there. Yeah, because um, we really like the story of Ruth in the Bible. Um, And... Naomi and Ruth were really good, best of friends and inseparable, wanted to go everywhere together. And uh, so we're kind of hoping that we might pass some of that on by the choice of names. <laughs> wonderful. Well, it's a good, good try, isn't it? If nothing else. But no, that's a wonderful name. Lydia Ruth Stevenson. Lydia Ruth Stevenson. Yeah. Oh, see, already turning away. Got it. Got the knack. To the godparents. <coughs> To Paul, Annie and Paula, do you promise to pray for Lydia and encourage her to follow Christ? Wonderful. Do you support Dave and Jessica as they endeavour to bring their daughter up before God? Wonderful. As long as they're positive answers, we're all for it, which they are. Brilliant. Now, Lydia, do you want a little cuddle with me? No? Do you want to hold my hand and stand at the front and wave at everyone? No? Do you want... Oh, we're being forced now. This is... do, you want... do you want to look at me? How about you stay with Mummy and hold my hand? Yeah. Yeah? That works. 
because you've got such lovely soft hands. Beautiful and a lovely dress and beautiful sandals. And you're determined to keep your fingers straight, but we're wrapping them around. <laughs> this is Lydia Ruth Stevenson. Isn't she wonderful? These are all the people who are going to promise to support you and your family. Aren't they wonderful? <laughs> I'm going to ask them if they will promise to do that, and then we will bless you, OK? Yeah, you cuddle in with Mommy. That's what I do. So people in the congregation, friends, family, people who are here this morning, do you... Just answer in the positive, that would be good. Do you, as people of God, endeavour to the best of your ability to offer Lydia and her family your love and support and to join Jessica and Dave in sharing with her the Christian faith? Wonderful. There's a passage in the Gospel of Mark which says this, the people brought children to Jesus hoping he might touch them. The disciples shooed them off. But Jesus was irate and let them know it. Don't push these children away. Don't ever get between them and me. These children are at the very centre of the life in the kingdom of God. Mark this. Unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get him. Then gathering the children up in his arms, he laid his hands on them and he blessed them. Now... Lydia, you're going to come here with mommy probably and your sister, I'm sure everywhere, everyone's welcome, we're all welcome here and we're going to bless you in Jesus' name. So Lydia, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you his peace. The Lord surround you with care and love and the Lord fill you with himself Amen Um, David is going to read our Bible reading to us this morning for those of you who haven't been here in previous weeks we've been working our way through the book of Joshua in the Old Testament in the Bible and David's going to read the latest part So the reading is taken from Joshua chapter 5 beginning at verse 13, and it should appear on the screen, as it has. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord... I have now come. Then Joshua fell down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Thank you, David. I don't know whether you're like me, but um, one of the things I'm hopeless at is remembering names. So I'll have a conversation, someone will tell me their name, and two seconds later I've completely forgotten it. But it doesn't just happen 
with new people, when I've known people for years, sometimes suddenly I'll just forget their name. And in the last church I was in, there was um, a lady called Peggy. See, I'm even thinking of it now. A lady called Peggy, whose daughter was called Dorothy. And they'd been in the church for years. I'd known them for years. And suddenly, I went through this period of getting them mixed up. Which, you know, Peggy was in her 80s and Dorothy was early 60s. So you you try not to get people mixed up when there's an age gap and their mother-daughter. And so in every meeting, if one of them would ask a question, I'd go, yes, Peggy. And she'd go, no, it's Dorothy. I'd go, of course it is. I've known you for 10 years. How embarrassing. But, you know, I'm very bad at names. And it's, I was going to say it's a family thing, but Simon's dad, obviously we're not related, apart from through marriage, he gets the same. And he had a neighbour who was called Astrid. And he could never remember her name. So he devised a way of remembering it. Every time he saw Astrid, he used to stand astride. So he would remember that her name was Astrid. So she'd come down the road and he'd go, Hello, Astrid. She must have thought, what a weird man. Let's not go and have a coffee with him. But, you know, we all have our ways of remembering. Some of us might have the gift of just remembering a name, but I'm sure some of us link it with someone else that we know or something that's happened. And, you know, that's why the Bible is so good for me. Because in the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, it's actually very easy to remember people's names because names are very often associated with incidences or great feats or something that that person has done. For instance, we have Noah and the ark, so I can remember Noah, Jonah and the whale, Samson and Delilah, Elijah and the ravens. We have David and Goliath, Daniel and the lion's den. We also have unfortunate names like Doubting Thomas, you know, things that aren't as positive, but incidences, things that people have done so you can remember our names. Each person is attached to an event, and we, or maybe it's just me, remember their names because of that event which we know about. Sometimes we can get people confused with events and then it all goes horribly wrong and we start mentioning, you know, people who aren't even in the Bible. But for the most part, it works. Connect someone with an event and you can remember their name. Unfortunately, for good or for bad, you link them with that event. And today, of course, we continue our look in the life of Joshua. Joshua is remembered for the walls of Jericho. That was his event. The miraculous destruction of the famous city. We don't get to that till next week, unfortunately. But, you know, that's the thing. Of course, with everyone who you remember for an event, there's also a lot of other things that go on in their lives before that event takes place. And it's the same with Joshua. So far, in our travel up to chapter 5 as a church, we have seen how... Oh, how exciting. Got the music. We have seen how Joshua was commissioned by God... After the death of Moses, the great leader of the Israelites, Joshua was then commissioned to be the leader. He won over the people. 
after following in the footsteps of someone who was so great. He also prepared the people of God to go from the wilderness into the promised land that they'd been waiting for for years. He went and checked out the land, not himself, but he sent some spies to check out Jericho to see what was happening. He led the people across the River Jordan, that famous moment when they entered into the promised land. And then most recently... He circumcised all the males, not himself, I don't think, to signify a new commitment to God, although maybe it was himself, and the fact that they left the wilderness and come to this new start. We've basically seen, so far, what has happened to the people of God since Joshua took up leadership from Moses. And in the short time that we've looked at the book, a lot has happened, leading up to the event that will define him, and help me to remember his name. But before that happens, we come across this little passage today that David read as we stumble onto a really strange meeting. A meeting sandwiched between an event of mass circumcision and the falling of the walls of Jericho. Never a dull moment in the book of Joshua, it's fair to say. And yet, it might seem a tiny passage, but it's a very significant passage because it tells us something about God about who he is and about how he wants us to be. If we've read anything of the Bible, in a sense, this tiny passage is a little bit familiar because, in a way, it's much like the encounter of Moses at the burning bush, another famous encounter for a famous person. Here, of course, Joshua seems to stumble across a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand, whereas back in the book of Exodus, Moses stumbles across a bush that was burning, but it wasn't really on fire. Moses, of course, at the burning bush, encounters an angel of the Lord as he looks into the bush, whereas Moses finds himself with the commander of the army of the Lord. But interestingly, in both cases, these leaders of Israel, albeit years apart from each other, realise that at some point during these strange encounters, they've entered into the presence of God. They both realise they stand on holy ground. And because of this, their encounter leads directly to something spectacular the event that gives them their memorable name. For Moses, of course, it's the freeing of the Israelites out of Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea. And for Joshua, it's the fall of the walls of Jericho. Both of these encounters lead to something amazing. But they only lead to something amazing because of how Joshua and indeed Moses react when they bump into these people. If we look at the passage today, we see that Joshua, as we've said, stumbles across a man with a drawn sword, which in itself is a little bit disconcerting. But for it to happen near Jericho, the city that Israel are looking to conquer within the next few days, would I imagine have been fairly alarming. For a start, it's obvious that this man is a fighting man. Within the culture of the day, you wouldn't draw a sword unless you were willing to use it. And so Joshua, knowing this and knowing that he's to lead the people into the city of Jericho, goes up to the man. And in effect, he says, who are you? Why are you standing there with a drawn sword? Are you for us or are you for our enemies? To which the man offers a strange reply, neither, he says. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. 
And upon hearing these strange words, immediately Joshua falls face down on the ground. Not because he's afraid that the man is going to kill him or he's in awe of such a mighty warrior, but because on hearing the words of this man, he realises that he's encountered something of God. The commander of the army of the Lord. And in the Bible, when you encounter something of God, whether it be fire from heaven or an angel or the risen Lord himself, when you encounter something of God before your very eyes, in the Bible, the only place to go is down on the ground on your face. Sometimes in fear, quite often in fear, but also, as in this passage, in reverence. And that's what Joshua does. He prostrates himself before the man of God because he realises that something of God is in this meeting. And then when he's done this, he asks, what message does my Lord have for his servant? He asks a question. Maybe he does this because he remembers the story of Moses at the burning bush and how God appeared to tell Moses something. Or maybe it's because most times in the Old Testament when God appears, he comes to bring a message. And so Joshua asks what it is. After all, he's about to face the walls of Jericho. There must be a message for him. That would make sense. But it seems that this is not God's intention. Just because Joshua is focused on Jericho as the immediate problem, God isn't. He has other priorities. And as with Moses at the burning bush, the commander of the army of the Lord looks at the prostrate Joshua and says, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I don't know whether you're into watching the Olympics. As people know here, it's one of my favourite things. I do enjoy when the Olympics are coming up. And I've watched them from when I was quite little. And I remember a particular race in one of the Olympics in 1984, in the Los Angeles Olympics, when there was this lady who we hadn't really heard of very often, but she was running for Britain, a certain lady called Zola Budd. And she was quite strange because she ran in bare feet. And this was a big thing in the news, Zola Bud running in bare feet. No one's ever done this before. Oh, my goodness, is she going to be able to get round? Turns out she was quite fast. But in the LA Olympics, she was facing Mary Decaslaney, who was very fast and was American and wanted to win because it was in America. It was the 3,000-metre final. It was in Los Angeles. It was in the middle of the night, and so we had our little telly set up on a chair in the bedroom because that's what you did. And uh, we were waiting. There was a big build-up. Zola Bud versus Mary Decaslaney. Who was going to win? What was going to happen? Well, what was going to happen was they were going to collide, and Mary Decaslaney was going to fall over and lie at the side of the track, distraught and crying, and Zolabud was going to turn in seventh, or something like that. A huge disappointment all round. But the next day, what I remember is there was a picture of Zolabud's foot in the paper. I don't know whether anyone remembers us, but And it had a massive mark down the back where Mary Decker-Slaney's studs had just gone into her foot and slid down the back of her foot. And I remember looking at that and thinking, oh, that, 
that just looks so painful. How did she manage to continue running? And it also made me feel that how vulnerable she was in that huge field of runners who all had their spikes on, because that's what you do in the Western world when you're running. You have your spikes for the Olympics. And she was there barefoot. And even though she got hurt, she carried on running. And, you know, it makes me think there's a particular vulnerability about taking your shoes off and standing barefoot when no one else is. There's a particular vulnerability about not having these shoes on, which we wear all the time, let alone running barefoot. And in the Bible, this is also the case, especially for a leader of God's people, someone whose sandals, whose shoes, would have bought them part of their position. You know, they they stood for power and strength and position. This was Joshua, the leader of God's people. He wore his shoes. He was a leader. So when God says to Joshua, take off your shoes, even though he's already lying flat on the ground on his face before the commander of the army of the Lord, in effect, what God is saying is, now, Joshua, you might be reverent before me, but I want you to be vulnerable before me as well. Because this strange meeting, it's not about you. It's not about how I'm going to help you or how I will answer your questions or how I will bring you satisfaction. Actually, it's about me. It's about you realising who I am. And in so doing, placing your life before me in all vulnerability so that you can find true perspective and move on ahead into whatever you will have to face. And you know, this passage really strikes a chord with me because I think there are many ways in which we have great respect for God. Some of us have given our lives to him, we are in awe of him, we try to follow him, we offer what we can to him. Whereas other of us might acknowledge something of his greatness or recognise his great power and come to church with respect for a God who is important to those around us. And we interact with God. You know, we, we're reverent, we have reverence for him and we know he created the world and we interact with him. We might call out to him from time to time when we are in need. We might question him when life gets hard. We might thank him for all that he has given us. We might bring God into the things we love and call for God to come into the times when we're really, really struggling. God may have a special place in our lives and we live in great reverence to him. But, you know, I wonder how many of us, when faced with something of God, are willing to take that step further and become truly vulnerable before him. If you like to become like Joshua and take off our metaphorical shoes, that which symbolises our power and our strength and our position, that which gives us our security and purpose. I don't know, it could be anything, academia, money, job status, family, skill sets, experience, looks. But I wonder how many of us, when faced with something of God, are willing to put these securities aside, take off our shoes, and stand barefoot in all vulnerability before the one who made us. Not so he can give us advice, or answer our dilemma, or meet our need, 
Not so we can ask what his message is for us, but so we can give him the opportunity to show us who he really is. And in so doing, for him to give us a new perspective on life so that we can face whatever is to come in a new way. You know, a few years ago at this church, we read through a book by Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life. It's not my favourite book. I don't know whether I like some parts of it, but there's one bit that's always stuck with me because I had a big debate with my friend about it like years and years ago. And it's the very beginning of the book. The very first line of the first chapter says this. It's not about you. It's not about you. And then it goes on to say, the purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. And you know, in a sense, of course, life is about us. We live our lives, we feel our feelings, we face our situations. But I guess what Rick Warren is saying is if this is the only perspective we have, then life can become very small and very scary at times. Whereas, as Joshua found out here, when you let God be God, and when we let ourselves be truly vulnerable before him, life can take a very different perspective. And the things that we face can be faced from a very different place where we know who God is and we know who we are and we know why we are here and where we can truly know who it is who guides us and leads us into the future. Let's take a moment just of quiet to sit and reflect for a minute and then we'll pray together. So as we go from here, as we walk from here with God, may God surround us and bless us and keep us. And may we know how great he is. Amen.